0: of things not seen. Now I have a little different translation here. Um, and then we also know that it comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay. So we know that that's what faith is ultimately. That would be the next, next slide. And we also know that it is something that we talk about, but we have a hard time really knowing how to live it. We also understand that it's about, uh, we sing songs about it faith is a victory. Anybody know that one? I'm going back to my Baptist root days, right? Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory. Um, oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. So we sing about this. We know it's a really amazing thing that faith is, you know, gives us the victory to overcome the world. And, uh, there's movies, um, that are created about faith. Um, one that we recently saw, sorry guys, plug your ears, if spoiler alert coming up here, but Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody see that one? Yeah, wasn't that great? Oh my gosh, no kidding. OK, so Desmond Doss, he was a US medic uh, war hero, and he made a vow not to touch a gun, which is obviously a challenging feat when he joined the army, um, and decided that he really wanted to be a medic and be about saving people's lives. Through a lot of persecution with this, he was actually able allowed to do that. And he was honored uh, the Medal of Honor by President Harry Truman for saving lives during the Battle of Okinawa in World War II. And he single-handedly in one night carried about 75 injured men to safety with the prayer, just one more, Lord, just one more. And he would lower them off the ridge and get them into safety. These are the things that we celebrate, that inspire us, that makes it so exciting for us to go, man, faith is awesome. But if it was so easy to live, I don't think we'd have songs sung about it and movies about it. It's something that we fight against when fear comes into play. 1 Samuel 17 teaches us, obviously we all know about the story of David and Goliath, and uh, but I love how David teaches us how to activate our faith and how to fight the giants with the faith and actually win the battle. So 1 Samuel 17, feel free if you want to follow along, you can. I'm just going to take portions out of it. It's, it's 45 through 52. But let me set this scenario up, and this, this, it's like a, a fight, a good champion fight, okay? We got the Philistine armies on one side, okay? And their god is Dagon, which uh, do not realize how they got this god. But bottom line, this god is half fish and half man, okay? And he came through an evolution process where they think that men and reptiles are, were evolved together. Um, so that, that's their god, Dagon. And it actually means fish in, in the Hebrew language then there's the Israelite armies okay they're on the other side lined up and their God of course is Yahweh now Yahweh we don't even have any visuals for it, but the name is so sacred we today don't even know if it's the exact way it was pronounced because all the vowels were taken out of it so it's Yahweh we think and this it was it was so sacred that the, the um, scripts the scriptors did not want to put, write the name, and every time they would write it, they would break the pencil or the, the script thing that they were using to write it with because it was so sacred. So this is our, the Israelite God, a very sacred God, Yahweh, there it is in Hebrew as well. It actually means, I am with you. Isn't that cool? Which would you rather have, the fish God or the one that says, I am with you, right? So this is the Israelite, <laughs> this is the Israelite army on one side and the Philistine army on the other side. Then comes Goliath. Now we all hear about Goliath, right? But we think he was about nine feet, six inches, okay? And uh, he obviously, he would come out and he'd taunt the, uh, the armies and say, hey, come and fight me. And if you can fight me, then the battle is won. Whoever wins this fight wins the battle, okay? So Goliath. Now this is what I found interesting. I threw, this is a little extra tidbit. Okay, do you remember the story about the Canaanites and how the Israelites had to go into Canaan and take the land? And remember, they would come back and they'd say to uh, uh, Moses, they're like giants, we can't take this land. Well, they weren't kidding. Okay, this is the Canaanites. They're actually around, they think about 24 feet to 36 feet tall. Can you believe that? So when they say giants in the Bible, they're not just going what we think of. Oh, they're like over seven feet. These were monstrous people. That whole race uh, obviously is (laughs) wiped out today. But you can see um, the average man is about six feet. And then, oh, I get to use my little laser pointer here. Oh, perfect, six feet, right? <laughs> and then there's the twelve feet. Well, Goliath was right around in, in there, so he's about nine feet six inches. So it probably looked a little bit like this. Oh, sorry. Here's David, little boy, right? Shepherd. They were young. It was a very uh, difficult, uh, or it was a job of the the most lowly. But yeah, it probably looked a little bit like this. There's David. Okay, and there's Goliath. Now, about the average man, about five feet, eight inches. And he might have been a little bit smaller since he was a young, a young man. So here's how it's starting. Now, we hear this story so often, but when we can really start to put it in different terms and start to visualize this this was a terrifying event for the Israelite people. It was so terrifying that none of the men were stepping up to do battle with Goliath. It says they were so afraid, they were shaking, and every time Goliath would come out, he's like, who's going to fight me? And he would taunt the Israelite people, and he would put down their God. Well, little David is coming now. He's just delivering food to his brothers. He's coming and delivering food to his brothers. And he's like, who is this Goliath? What's going on here? And his brothers are like, ah trying to tell them, and then they're putting him down. Bottom line is, David goes, I'm going to take him on. So you know how desperate they are when they send this little shepherd boy, one of the most lowly professions, basically this kid that comes out to fight this huge Goliath. And here's what he says when he comes out to him. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This kind of strikes me a little bit as somebody who's like tattletailing on somebody saying, you messed up big time and I'm telling on my God on you. This is what he does. I like to call this a power reminder. This is what he did. He gave him a power reminder and said, this is where my power comes from. Yours comes from that, that sword or that shield or in our, our daily term, comes from your gun or your security system, Right. But my power, it comes from the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, a name we can't even pronounce fully because it's so sacred. This is how powerful our God is. And he t- took us out of Egypt, and we conquered these 36-feet giants, okay? So he's already going, and he's talking about This is a power reminder. I, I kind of think, at least if I was David, I'd be doing this more for myself than I would be for Goliath, okay? I'd be like, I've got to remind myself, uh, God is more powerful, and who am I representing, Okay. So he's coming out, he's doing a power reminder. He goes on to say to him, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. Okay? I'm going to cut your head off. So again, this also reminds me of like kind of like a a fight that you're kind of going out and you're saying, you know, uh, the champion fights and they're posturing and they're saying... I'm going to beat you up. Yeah, well, my mom is more. Well, your daddy, you know, all these kind of things. This is what David's doing to Goliath. He's basically saying, I'm going to take you. And you know what? I'm going to cut your head off. Again, I suspect he's saying this. He's like, oh, I got to man up to this. Nobody else is doing this. But I'm sure clearly there was some faith there, right? There's no way he could go and take this field without having some of this faith. So again, his faith is activated by claiming the victory. He claims the victory. Now, we know this was an act of faith because he says he's going to cut off his head. But remember what he has in his hand? A slingshot, right? He doesn't even have a sword. How is he going to cut off this guy's head? So all he has is a slingshot, okay? he's going, I'm going to cut off your head. All right, this is one of my favorite parts. After that, he says a very descriptive vision of what's going to happen. He says, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. So he goes on to monologue, predicting this horrible future for, the, for a Goliath. Now, Goliath probably was sitting there thinking, "Uh, I bet you his faith was getting a little shooken a little bit, or his confidence. As David's going on and on about this, this little pipsqueak coming up to him and saying, this is what's going to happen to you. Oh, and by the way, This is what's happened to your army. So this is an amazing, amazing act of faith on David. He does what we call vision casting. Now, I like it for two aspects. He was casting fear into the Philistine and the Philistine army, but he was also casting a vision of faith for the Israelites, saying this is what we're capable of and this is what we can do. After he reads them his mail and tells them what is going to happen to him and his army, he reminds him who is going to do it. God And those who serve God is going to do this. Are you getting the picture on this? This isn't even about the Philistines or the Israelites or even David and Goliath. This is a battle and a war of the gods. And who's going to win? And all God needed was a little shepherd boy saying, I can take this guy. So when basically... He he says the battle is the Lord's and he represents God. He reminds himself and everybody else, he represents God, Yahweh, the the great God who has defeated uh all the the uh, armies in the past and the great giants of the past. When he said all he needed to say, can okay, I'm picturing this little kid screaming up at him going, and furthermore, it reminds me of my little daughter, Maketta. when she'd come, she'd have a, I actually taped her once because it was so comical. She's like, mom, she put her little hands on her hips, and furthermore, I think I should be able to have snacks like Dawson because Dawson has snacks too. And she's giving me this whole little lecture about why she should have snacks and why she should have what she wants. Okay. That's like little David. He's going, you know what? This is what's going to happen. And he was very confident, very entitled, and he had a lot of security in his God. Um, okay, so then, the, oh, the ironic part, too, on this is, uh, as he um, says all this, right, he does all these words, sometimes this is where we like to stop as Christians, all right? I've quoted my scripture, I've said what I need to say, I've sung my songs, and then when we go sit down, we go, see, look how stark I am. No, nope, I'm sorry. This is where the rubber meets the road. Now we need to act. We need to put legs to our vision. And this is what I love about him. David, and I think this is why he was called a man after God's own heart. He acted by running towards the enemy and didn't even wait to be approached to reenact his vision that was put in his head and his heart. He attacked. He implemented And he acted passionately. My favorite three words of this entire scripture is, then it happened. Isn't that fabulous? Everything he said. Now, notice all the prep on this. I am, there is six points to this. I'm coming down to the fourth one. Look at all the prep that came before the action, right? And we don't even have time to go through for today, and you can read it on your own, all the, the faith acts that came before David came to this site. He killed a lion. He killed a bear. Okay, so he, he has been in preparation for this moment in time. So then he acts quickly. If anybody remembers, uh, several weeks ago I did a message on um, Abigail. I called her Action Ab- Abigail. Remember how she w- acted quickly and she went to David? Well, ironically, Abigail ended up becoming David's future wife. I think they make a great pair. Both very active. Then it happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, then David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Isn't that funny? He didn't even go, ah, okay, I'm going to hold on with my little slingshot, and I'm going to wait till it comes here, and then I'm going to the, 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 implement my vision. No, man, he went, ran towards him. It says he put his hand into his bag, took from it a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, so he fell on his face to the ground. Quick tidbit on this history of tidbit. Remember that the god Dagon I was telling you about. If you go earlier in First Samuel, like around in I think it's chapter seven somewhere in there, um, the Philistines won a battle and they took the god Dagon and they took. Oh no, excuse me. They took the Ark of the Covenant, which God resides in, for the Israelite army. They took that that Ark and they gave it and they put it into um, their camp, the Philistine camp. Um, And they put their god, Dagon, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. You know what happened to Dagon? Yeah. (laughs) Next morning they got up, he fell on his face. Now, here's the irony of this. And I love God because he's got such a sense of humor. Dagon actually means a man standing upright. Okay. So he falls over, falls on his face. The men go, our God is more powerful than Yahweh, this Israelite God. So the next day they set him back up again. This time he fell over again on his face. His head came off. And his arms came off. I think, see a little, maybe a predictor of what's going to happen to the Philistines, right? So that was their god, Dagon. And I find it fascinating that this was actually reenacted. Goliath, the, st- the, the huge man, again, fell forward on his face. He called, could have fallen backwards. He could have fell sideways. He could have kind of fell to a knee. No, he fell dead forward on his face, just like Dagon, the other god. You don't think that that struck a little fear in the Philistine army? It's like going, we've seen this somewhere before. <laughs> So, of course, the next thing that activates faith is acting quickly. Acting quickly. He reenacted all he said, but found he was lacking a tool to complete the task. But that didn't stop David. He found himself without a sword. Instead of quitting, out of defeat or frustration, he was innovative. I love this. This is where our engineers come in. God bless our engineers. I know my son wants to be an engineer. We have another engineer, Vic Renard, in the audience too. But yeah, this is where people get really um, innovative and creative, and they create solutions so that visions can be carried out. David, here's what he did. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then, didn't stop him, then David ran, remember he acts quickly, and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. Anybody I know that is in the, the, not only the military, but in the police department, this and that, that's kind of like an act of um, um, humil- humiliation, if somebody takes your own weapon and kills you with it, right? Well, that's what he did. So at this point, okay, we've got Goliath fell over. Um, now, uh, the Philistine army is watching all of this and so is the Israelite army and their giant is dead. Little pipsqueak David, shepherd boy runs over, stands over him, kills him with his own sword. You don't think there's some fear going on here? So there's innovative solutions that David did to create and activate fear, or excuse me, activate faith. So when the Philistines saw that the champion was dead and they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. And the slain Philistines lay along the way. This was like a carnage battle. And the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. The result of faith activated. It inspires action and it creates a revolution. He ignited a revolution, received freedom from his enemies, and actually saved his entire nation from that one little revolution act of saying I'm going to take on this giant but he didn't do it in his own strength he remembered it wasn't even his battle he was like how dare you say something about my holy powerful almighty God he's going to back me up and he did revolution means a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system (laughs) I'm sure there's some that might want that in our country right now bringing about a major or fundamental change He won the battle, and he won the war. I want to introduce you to a a modern-day revolutionary. Her name is Benita, and I met her in Thailand. She's overturning the social order in Thailand through her faith. She's a 70-year-old American retired teacher and principal who, after three weeks after retiring, her husband said, hey, we're going to Thailand for my job. She picked up and moved with them. She said, I'm still working at forgiving him for that. And she said, went on to talk about how sad and lonely and oppressed um, that she was, apart from her children, her grandchildren. But then she saw a need. She noticed that over 50,000 boys, girls, men, and women are entrapped and used in the sex industry as a part of their way of living. In a country where prostitution is illegal. Bonita right there is on the left, the older one. On the right is Anne, another revolutionary. But she was a Thai woman. She's independently wealthy. Um, which is funny because, if, if I apologize, but the stereotype here, if, if a lot of women, right, the Thai women, a lot of times are doing our nails in the nail salons, right? Um, but that was not the case over there. She was a powerful force and, um, not to say the women in our nail salons are not, they're very powerful. They make us look good. They keep our nails looking great and everything, but that's a lot of our, um, our understanding of the Thai culture. Not the case going over there. There's all different classes and, and uh, strength and, and types and educated women and uh, doing different things. She owns several businesses, independently wealthy, but she felt moved to be able to be a part of um, what Bonita is doing. Her name is Anne, And they started New Beginnings, where they help provide another living alternative to young girls by educating them and providing a refuge for them. A lot of these girls are having to work because they are, resp- the girls in the Thai country are responsible for taking care of the families. So, the best way to take care of the family and the most lucrative is through uh, sexual um, slavery. So, anyways, let me go through a couple of these here. They started the new beginnings. The next slide. This is the, the stuff that I brought over. They didn't, they can't get things like walnuts, almonds, different things, Parmesan cheese, Ziplocs. So I packed up a huge suitcase and another box. Next slide. And I carted that with my small little suitcase in through Thailand. I think it was about 30 hours of travel. I don't recommend that. Next slide. <laughs> it was a time of grieving. And the, the, actually there was kind of an oppression on the whole land because the king, had initially died, and he was very loved. And he'd been a king for, I think, like 50 years or 60 years, and he was a very loved king. Next slide. This is down in um, Bangkok, and this is one of the, in- the industries. There's several layers, but this is a very common scene that you'll see with um, just these open markets, and you'll see these bars, and there's all different types of bars. And each bars there is waitresses that are doing more than serving drinks, and um, they typically have numbers on them. And you can do uh, call uh, buy one and have a drink with them, chat with them. And then if you want anything more, then you can go from there. A lot of them are dancing as well. Um, so we were actually out in this marketplace. And at one point, we did buy a drink for a gal. And we just talked with her. It was very interesting. They wanted us to be able to c- get really immersed with it. Next slide. And this is in Bangkok. This was actually very interesting. This is part of their... Their religion is that this is a, if you can see here, this is a whole uh, little shrine that they build for their god. That's Hinduism, Buddhism. And this is right around, and you can see the signs and different things. This is right around the sex industry. There'll be these little shrines that they house their spirit, uh, their their gods, the spirits of their gods as a way to honor. But um, when I was standing right here and I took this picture, a gal stood right down here and prayed, to her god for protection while off to the side uh, was one of a customer waiting for her and they pray for protection that they won't get hurt or harmed because there's no rules to protect them there and that they'll actually come back and be able to continue doing their service so obviously it's all ages there Um, some of it's volunteer but uh, most of it is enforced and part of the culture next slide this was a reprieve to be able to come here and see basically the work that Benita was doing. And this is the, one of the houses that she had started. And next slide. When I came in, um, that box that my husband had so diligently packed up, they, were, that was, they had opened everything else. And you'll see it on the table there. But these gals were sitting there opening up the last box. And so I, got, I was able to get a picture of it. And they had to really struggle on that, honey. You really duct taped it well.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: It did not fall apart. Um, okay, next slide. This is Bonita here. You can see how overwhelmed she is. This is my team that we brought. There's about 18 women of us. We brought all this stuff. Right here is four um, electric mixers that we bought. And um, so that they can cook for the women and the girls. She's visu- visibly overwhelmed, crying. She just can't believe it. It was very hot there, too. I'm sure she was wiping her sweat off. Next next slide. This is some of the team. This is Ann that I was talking to you about, who is such a vision, loves these kids. Uh, these are some of the girls. I do not post any of it on social media, obviously, to protect their identity, but it's totally fine to be able to see them. We are all sitting here, and then um, they prepared this beautiful feast, this Thai feast, the best that we ate. And this gal is... Um, a a well-known chef, actually, culinary chef. Next slide. There we are playing on the floor, playing some games, because remember these girls are anywhere between 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, so they've kind of missed their childhood. And uh, they have, this is all optional for them to have another place to come to. They live here. You can see some maps on here. There's an the, uh, alphabet up on the wall. So they're educated here as well as working to recover from the trauma that they've gone through. But what I found fascinating is we all got on the floor and we're all, you can see our team, we're all sitting around. We're playing this ga- these games with these girls. We don't speak <laughs> the same language. So that was fun. You can actually play games and not speak the same language. And I know exactly the game that you can play. But you should have heard the noise level in there it was so fun and they're just reliving some of their childhood next slide we went to Patier and um, walked around there a little bit and saw a little bit more of there was we were in Bangkok earlier and then this is Patier, and this was a little bit more intense with the scene down there we actually in some areas did not get out of the van next scene This is the walking street. This is very well known. A lot of tourists go down here. Um, Most of the people that are here are Westerners, Westerner men. Um, So you can imagine they don't think too highly of uh, white males. Next slide. Um, This is some of the scenes. Similar to, I thought, gosh, this looks like Vegas. You can see a girl up in the window there too. And uh, we we were uh, solicited with a lot of flyers and different things that were coming down this street. Next slide. If you didn't know better, you'd think it was glamorous. Again, another reprieve. This is the second house that they're doing. They have just opened this, started it, but unfortunately, they do not have the funds at this point to even staff it. So I'm just going to, we can just rip through these slides a little bit, Marty. So next, and this is the staff. This is the opening uh, coming into the house. Next slide. This is, the, this is part of my team. And this is, look at this beautiful ceiling here. Look at this floor. Isn't that gorgeous? Brand new. Next slide. Oh, yeah, some hammocks. Those are really fun. <laughs> I had to try those out. Next slide. Uh, look at the floors again. Isn't that gorgeous? These bunk beds all set up. Next slide. Another room here in this beautiful little couch there. Gorgeous curtains. It's just totally ready. Next one. Now, if you're standing at the house, there is um, these apartment buildings over here. And these are what you call shop houses. And what's amazing about these shop houses is that, that on the bottom floor is it's a whole area that you can actually put in a shop, and then people can live above it, okay? This would be ideal for the girls, which one of the things that the values that we like in giving in our ministries at the Vine is, is it self-sustaining? And so this is what we look for. And this is their vision to have this be self-sustaining, is that on the bottom floor, they want to open a restaurant. Remember Anne, the culinary chef? she's going to teach these girls how to cook. So um, beyond this is a big busy thoroughway in that people are going to be able to come in and be able to get some killer food and I ate I sampled many of Ann's food it was delicious. And um, then we what happened is Benita she shared about her story and uh, the faith that involved with that. They bottom line were able to purchase through these two sections, if you can believe that. So that is eight sections plus this huge bottom floor for the uh, restaurant, which is the next slide. Oh, bathroom, sorry. Beautiful, I just had to take a picture of that. Look at that tile work. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, next slide. This is the vision they have for the restaurant. You can see uh, that they've put down some pictures, even all that way down to the decorating and everything. I thought that was really cool. Again, they're doing some vision casting. Isn't that beautiful? That's what faith, activates faith. Next slide. And this is the shop space. All in here where they would put the restaurant and the tables and everything. And you can see up above, these are the places they would live. And next slide. This is the whole team. It's beautiful. We did a ribbon-cutting ceremony. Um, It was a whole women team which was really fun. Uh, Men, you would not have liked to be in those vans with the discussions we were having. It was very great. (laughs) Um, Really good time. Good bonding going on. There's Benita. There's Ann. And a couple of the other team. They're not in there. The director of the World Help who put this all together is Noelle. She's right there, Dr. Noelle Yates. And her mother is there. And her father, who is also the president, uh, Dr. Vernon Brewer, also uh, was there as well. Next slide. Oh, there's me. Oh, and of course we had a little fun. I had to ride an elephant. Isn't that cool? Yeah. One and done on that one. All righty. Next one. That's it. All righty. So this is what we're excited about being a part of and what we're about uh, supporting. Now... I know that um, many of you are kind of going, hey, this is a story for another time, another place with David, and I can't move to Thailand, you know, and there are giants are really big here, and the faith may have worked for David, but how is the faith going to work for my life? Plus, we've got bigger problems. You know, Goliath might have been this huge giant, but we've got poverty issues, starvation, sexual slavery. We can't make that much of a difference. The truth is that we can make a difference and that faith may be powerful, but fear is too big and much louder if we let that continue to reign. Faith takes a warrior's heart to tune out the voices around you and tune into God's spirit that resides within you. If faith was so easy to cultivate, we would have no need for God's spirit. Faith is cultivated by experience, vision, words, where fear is cultivated through discouragement, despair, and failure. If faith is the victory, then fear is a victim. I want to introduce you to one more couple, real briefly, Mar- or, um, the Martins, which is Gabe and Sally Martin. Can you come up here? These are some, we have a couple minutes just to say their story, but they are activators of faith, and I have two questions that I wanted them to answer. Hi Gabe, good to see you, and Sally, I didn't get to greet you guys this morning. <laughs> I've known them for years, um, and they have recently come back into the Tri Cities. But, Gabe, go ahead and tell us a little bit about what was a faith action for you recently for you and your family.
2: So, so five years ago, we, we were here in the Tri-Cities, and, uh, and Sally and I have just always wanted to follow God where, wherever he, he wanted to lead us. And, uh, you know, I had a, had a pretty good job here, and we had a house over in Pasco. And, and, um, and Sally walks in the bedroom one morning and says, you know, I feel like, I feel like God's leading us to Mississippi. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I, I grew up in Mississippi and I, and after living in the Tri-Cities for nine years, I never wanted to go back. And, uh, <laughs> it's a rough place, but, um, so it became very apparent that we were supposed to leave. And, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of things happened. Uh, you know, God's was very clear about when we were supposed to go, a date when we were supposed to leave and, and, um, and we left and, i didn't have a job line it wasn't because I wasn't trying. there was just nothing there. I mean, mm-hmm. there were no jobs, there was no housing um so so we left on the day when God told us to leave and and um we had two children, uh, our son was two, and our daughter was four at the time and and we packed what little we had left <laughs> yeah we were able to to take with us and and we we moved across the country and we found out four days before uh, we left where we were going to live and uh, this fully furnished place that God had set up for us. And we got there, and, um, and, and it just began a, a process of, of just God providing jobs and, and um, experiences for us. So,
0: Thank you. Oh, awesome. Sally, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, what was your vision for going over there?
3: Just that God had called us. He yeah. called us to a little town. It was called Nettleton. 2,000 people. When we found out it was 2,000 people, we were like, that's not where God's calling us. <laughs> because we had someone speak to us and say, don't go to town smaller than 5,000 because they're dying. Mm. There's nothing there. There's no hope for any kind of forward movement or growth or anything. But we knew um, because of God's guidance that Nettleton was where he was calling us. And people kind of looked at us like, Okay, you guys are kind of nuts and we kind of looked at ourselves like what the heck are we doing? We don't know. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I am someone just in all honesty and vulnerability, I do not feel qualified to be called by God to any town of any size to do something on behalf of him. But I knew that if he was willing to ask me to go, there must have been a purpose and a reason, and I couldn't see it. You guys, I couldn't see it. And And when your husband doesn't have a job and you, we had $2,000 in our pocket (laughs) and it was just like, we could not see it. So when you talk about faith being Mm -hmm. the evidence of things not seen, Mm -hmm. all we knew was that God was saying, come on. And we were like, well, we're curious Mm -hmm. and, um, and we were curious and we just wanted to know. And we went with him. We took, we took the leap and, um, Mm -hmm. and he, he was faithful. Beautiful.
0: And then what was the ending result of that? Oh, by the way, it was a really easy journey, wasn't it? Getting over there, living there. (laughs) It was brutal.
3: (laughs) It was like a nightmare. It was like I was living in a nightmare.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It was another culture, another place. That'll be a story for another day, won't it? Yeah. Um, But what was the end result? Um, Well, we initially felt God
3: calling us to work uh, in racial reconciliation, which we Mm -hmm. did very actually little of, um, which felt odd. Um, but I did, we did a lot of just telling people our story that God called us to Nettleton and we, we packed up what little we had and we came Mm. and that we figured God must really love Nettleton. And that was kind of our message. We just thought God really loves Nettleton. And we just kept telling people that. Mm. And when we got there, the factories were all closed and the houses were like, I would drive around with my kids and we would see these houses like tilting over and we would pray that God would either restore them or burn them out. And within a week we started seeing people burn houses out of our mm-hmm. town. I mm-hmm. mean, literally they'd come in and burn them out. And mm. we were like having these crazy praise parties in our car when we drive by and they're burning a the house down <laughs> because the town was so ugly. I mean, I just can't even tell you. And then the factory started opening back up and we had, God had sent these people to come. They said, we just feel like God wants us to come and pray in Nettleton, people that we knew God's calling us to come pray in your town. So they'd show up at our house and we would drive them around the little parameter and we would pray. We did a lot of prayer. And people always say, well, what'd you do? And I say, we did a lot of praying and we had a lot of conversations and we just shared our story. And through that, something happened. Mm -hmm. It was like, we didn't really do any more than that. So I can't take any credit except we just did what God asked us to, which was live in Nettleton. Um, But we saw people like, we saw these little, you know, there's a verse in Isaiah that says that where there's still a little spark in the fire, God's not going to let it go out. And I feel like that's what it was. There was a lot of embers in Nettleton that were fixing to just be done. And I feel like God allowed us to come and just breathe on them with his breath, not ours, with his. Because <laughs> I didn't have the best attitude, I'll just be honest. But anyway. <laughs> awesome. A week before you left, what that's happened? That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Do you want to share or? Well, the week before we left, God had actually moved us out of Nettleton already. We were living somewhere else for three months. Um, we got wind. I kept hearing rumors of a revival that was going to happen in Nettleton. And I kept asking questions. Well, what is this? What's going on? And they said, well, the mayor wants Nettleton to be better, but he recognizes it has to come through the churches. And so he was getting all the pastors together, um, all of them, black, white, Presbyterian, Southern Baptist, Methodist, all of them. Pentecostal, they were all getting together and they were praying and they were seeking the Lord and they had a revival in Nettleton at the football field, which was right behind the house we used to live in. And, um, we got to go and I got to sit in the stands with the women that we used to pray with. I used to pray with this group of women on Tuesdays and, and we got to see with our eyes that we weren't the only ones that could see it anymore, that they had it. You know, they could see that God loves nettleton
0: i love so, yeah. it oh thank you you guys awesome isn't that beautiful yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna say a, per, a thing for them but they won't say this but if anybody knows of any houses in the tri-cities well they need some we, the the uh housing market is ridiculous here is it not to be able to get a, a home yes it is no kidding so um well, that'll be our next faith thing for getting them located but anyways i'm gonna have Micah just come on up and close us out in prayer Thank you for letting me uh, talk with you today and talk about how to activate our faith. And hopefully this was helpful and inspiring for us to not just talk about it, but to live it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Jen. We appreciate you and and your message, your faith in stepping out in Thailand. And, you know, there towards the end, you you mentioned exactly what was on my heart and my mind as we were through this, this morning. I was thinking... You know, you go into a place like Thailand and you say, the problem is overwhelming. I couldn't even, you know, make a dent in what needs to be done. And that's where activating our faith is so vital. That's when people like David change, you know, the course of a nation. People like Gabe and Sally, you know, change the nature of a community and what I dream of us as individuals and, a, and as a church mm-hmm. seeing happen here in our community. So, Jen, thank you so much for that. Let's pray as we close out this morning. Father God, we thank you for the day, and we thank you for the time. Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who is faithful, that walks beside your people and empowers incredible things. Um, so, Father, give us faith. Uh, let your spirit work inside us that we would know more faith, and in faith, and in activating that faith, Father, that we would find... Um, uh, the ability to take action, and knowing that you are empowering the things that are happening. Father God, thank you that you're a good God. Thank you for involving us in your mission and the work that you're doing in our community and in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.